Welcome to my podcast, Tricks of the Trademark. This is Eric Pelton with another podcast episode in which I share advice and experience based on my 20 years of working with clients around the world to protect and strengthen their brands. A topic that comes up all the time in our line of work is the DuPont factors and the analysis of them. Now, what are the DuPont factors? This is a famous case called Inri E.I. DuPont de Nemours and Company from the Court of Patent Appeals in 1973 that then became known as the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. And this laid out the factors for analyzing a likelihood of confusion in any comparison of trademarks at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So this comes up all the time in deciding in an application or in a opposition or cancellation dispute at the USPTO whether two trademarks are likely to be confused under Section 2D of the Trademark Act. I want to go through the factors for you quickly and then just talk about it a little bit in general. But it's important to note at the outset, and I'll talk more about it after I list the factors, that in every case, the facts, of course, are unique and the weight given to the different factors is going to vary. So the factors are the similarity or dissimilarity of the marks in appearance, sound, connotation, and commercial impression. Two, the similarity or dissimilarity and the nature of the goods or services in the relevant applications or registrations at the USPTO. Three, the similarity or dissimilarity of established likely to continue channels of trade. Four, the conditions under which and buyers to whom sales are made. So is it a sale that's made quickly without much thought on the fly? Or is it a type of transaction, product or service where there's going to be a great deal of time and consideration and research involved in making a purchase? Five, the fame, if any, of the prior mark. Six, the number and nature of similar marks in use on similar goods or services. Seven, the nature and extent of any actual confusion, if there has been, between the two marks at issue. Eight, the length of time and the conditions under which there's been concurrent use of the marks without any evidence of actual confusion. So sort of the flip of actual confusion. Nine, the variety of goods on which the mark is used or not used. Ten, the market interface between the applicant and the owner of the prior mark. Eleven, the extent to which the applicant has a right to exclude others from use of its mark on its goods. 12, the extent of potential confusion. And 13, a good catch-all any court would like to have. Any other established fact probative of the effect of use. Now, 
in the vast majority of cases, the first two factors, the similarity of the marks themselves and the similarity of the goods and services are going to carry the majority or all of the work in deciding whether or not there's a likelihood of confusion. The other factors can be important. Again, every case is unique and it depends on the circumstances. But in your typical straight up analysis, the first two factors are overwhelmingly the most important ones. But it's important to also remember that there's no litmus test. There's no, you know, rule. That's why there's so much gray area and quite a bit of subjectivity in the world of trademarks. And that's why in doing any kind of an analysis of whether or not there's potential confusion or lack thereof, it is important to work with someone who really understands and has gone through this analysis many, many times. If you have any questions about a likelihood of confusion analysis, you can email us info at ericpelton.com or connect with us on our website at ericpelton, E-R-I-K-P-E-L-T-O-N.com. You've been listening to Tricks of the Trademark with me, Eric Pelton. I've been making trademarks bloom since 1999. For more information about my trademark services, visit my website at ericpelton.com. Thanks for listening.